Today our reading comes from 1 Thessalonians, the second chapter, verses 1 through 8. Hear now the word of the Lord. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully mistreated at Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, even so we speak not to please mortals, but to please God who tests our hearts. As you know, and as God is our witness, we never came with words of flattery or with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek praise from mortals, whether from you or from others, though we might have made demands as God, apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, greetings. It's good to be with you, my friends. For those of you who are streaming, yes, we do have some folks here in the sanctuary today. Today begins our pilot services where we're trying to gather mixed groups of about 20 per Sunday, especially those interested in helping volunteer for when we're able to open up to larger groups of people. If you're interested in volunteering and if you're interested in being a part of this, just email me or Dee Stone or another staff member. We're going to need all the volunteers that we can handle during this time of of uh, slightly and gently reopening, and, and we continue to pray that the numbers still increase. I have been asked at the elders' prayer breakfast and by some of you about the state of my chickens in my backyard that we got over the season of COVID. We have nine chickens, in case you're unaware. One of them turned out to be a rooster. And this week they started, last week they started laying eggs, so we're getting eggs and that's all wonderful. But the rooster, all of a sudden, once the first egg was laid, he became very nasty. And he attacks the kids, and he attacks Colleen. And I'm going home today to have Coco Vaughn. Everyone knows what's happening at home right now? That rooster is not long for this world. I couldn't even save him. I tried, but Colleen is a harsh taskmaster. If you know her, you know what I'm talking about. Let us pray. Creator God, we are thankful for the life that you have given us. We confess that we haven't always treated that gift well. We've been wayward, unwise, and sinful. And as we've walked away from you, we know and believe that you have sent your son Christ to reconcile us unto yourself. And we're grateful. And we know and believe that Christ is at work in us to cultivate in us a desire for your kingdom ways, not our own ways or the ways of the world. You've also sent your Holy Spirit to walk with us as a counselor and friend to make us into a community of care. We're grateful for the gift. God, send your Holy Spirit freshly in this hour for you and I know that without you, 
I can do nothing. We pray these words from the letter St. Paul has written to his friends would renew and refresh our minds, would cleanse our spirits, and give us energy for your work. It is in the matchless name of your Son, Christ the Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forevermore. Amen. When I was in college, I had an internship with a hospice chaplain. I learned a lot sitting at people's deathbeds and praying with them and their families and being with folks as they walk to the end of life. I also learned a lot driving around in a car with this chaplain who had years of experience. We'd go from house to house and he would tell me things to look out for. He told me that people who had diagnoses were important to listen to, especially when they were stark diagnoses like cancer. He told me how they perceived their diagnosis often made all the difference. He was right. Later, I would read an article out of Time magazine in the Guardian, which is a UK newspaper, that psychology people were studying, psychologists, psychology people, isn't that funny? Psychologists were studying the ways that people talked about their cancer diagnosis. Turns out that a lot of people who describe their cancer as a battle often had ill effects to their psyche because if they didn't improve, there was something in their mind that told them they were losing the battle as if they weren't enough. The people who wrote this article were opting for other language like a journey through cancer rather than a battle through cancer. I don't know, but I do know this. How you frame the world what you project onto the world and your role within it often makes all the difference. Now, I don't need to tell any of you, we are living in the time of COVID. And there have been many images projected onto our world that are associated with it. Some go like this. This is my right. This is my freedom. Other images are about the greater good. Still, there are others conspiracies, or even political spin. The image that we have tried to offer you as a church to, to project onto the world of COVID is the one of exile, where we find fruit there. But my question, and it's a deeper one, is how are we to conceive of ministry during a year that's basically a 500-year flood year? My good friend calls it a black swan event. This is an important question because if you're a faithful Christian, you too, though you may not stand in a pulpit on a Sunday, you too have the job of being Christ's minister of his gospel to the world. So to think through our question, we can turn our attention to St. Paul in his letter to the Thessalonians. And to be frank, it is a one-side part of a conversation. We don't know what they're saying to him but we can pick up the fact that Paul is clearly responding to some criticism or some suspicions. We know because of how he's defending the manner with which he and his team came to their church and did ministry. It seems that even in the days of St. Paul, people had opportunity to be suspicious of preachers and their motives. When I was a young student preparing for ministry, we had occasion to sit with a minister who's kind of a legend in his own right. We were sitting at a table at lunch in a circle around him, and he told us about how his daddy was a preacher in Appalachia. 
And he was paid with tomatoes and chicken eggs and chickens. And then he said that he got paid a little bit better than that when he became a minister and that his son, who is also a minister, was getting paid at a certain amount. He told us, he, he said, so, so fellows, maybe by the time you take a pulpit, maybe you'll get paid a decent wage. We laugh because people don't typically get into the ministry for the money. But there are those who seem to have found their way to get money anyway. Now, I don't want to disparage every TV preacher, but there was an audit done of a bunch of them. And uh, I heard that one of them had a 24-karat gold commode in their office. There's reason sometimes to be suspicious of preachers. What is their intent? It seems as though that happened to St. Paul. But it's clear. It's clear that Paul has had a difficult time elsewhere. He tells them that, you know, when I was at Philippi, it was tough, and now he's come to them in Thessalonica, and he had the courage to come and preach the gospel, even though they offered great opposition. I suppose Paul could have projected an image onto the world as though it were a war or constant strife. And that would mean that his ministry was a battle. But is that how we should conceive of the gospel? Let me submit to you, it's not. However, it's the worldview that most of you and I grew up in, in the West. You ever hear about that famous political philosopher Hobbes? Not Calvin and Hobbes, Thomas Hobbes. He said that human beings were bella omnium contra omnis, a war of all against all. That in our base nature is basically an animal, a brutish sort, he called us. And that if we didn't have something, Leviathan, he called it, government, social contract. If we didn't have something heavy above us to keep us in check, then we're just going to brutalize and take from each other at whim. So we needed that. That influenced the political theory and the social theory of the entire Western world, even the framers of our Constitution. There's a reason why we have three branches of government to keep each other in check. John Adams was a good reader of Hobbes. But Marshall Salins, the great anthropologist, makes a finer point, in my opinion, about the human condition. You see, he studied people groups all over the world and found out that there's plenty of people groups that don't start with the idea that we're at odds with each other, but that we start with the idea that we're actually kinfolk. He made the argument that Hobbes' theories do more to prescribe nature of humanity rather than describe it. Well, you didn't come for a philosophy lecture. Point is, conceiving of the world as just conflict and ministry as battle is simply not the way to do the gospel. When you do it that way, you will find our ministry to be one where we lord it over others. How you conceive of your role in ministry is important for how you act and how you will behave. We can't call it a war or battle, and St. Paul doesn't call it that either, even though he talks about the opposition against him. So I wonder, did St. Paul conceive of his ministry to the Thessalonians as though he were the knowledgeable man and they were the ignorant students? Well, that's a tempting notion. I mean, he's coming with a message and he's bringing it to them and he has information about God that he's actually communicating to people who haven't heard. So education's not bad. 
But something doesn't quite add up to me with this either. If our ministries were all about educating the ignorant, well, if we conceive it that way anyway, it creates a power dynamic and that stages the ground for arrogance in our ministry and patronizing behavior. Since the pandemic broke out, I've been invited to be a part of several Atlanta, City of Atlanta civic groups. And I've been asked to be a part of a group that's addressing systemic racism in Atlanta. And the area that I was actually put in charge of was food insecurity in some of our poor neighborhoods. Basically, what this means is there are places where people have a hard time finding fresh, healthy food. They're called food deserts. So I've got Zoom calls every week with a bunch of pastors and leaders talking about what we can do to help these neighborhoods. The person who rounded us up gave us mentors in the community from the different neighborhoods that we were going to try to help. And our mentor is President Williams for the International Theological Center down near the HBCUs. I could see on his face that he was suspicious of our intentions. And then he told us he was. Why? Because time and again, white, affluent churches have come in thinking they were going to help only to just do a little something and leave. We humbled ourselves and said, well, what do we need to do? How can we have more credibility? And he said, here's a thought. Listen. Get to know the people get to know the place, listen. Seems more gospel-centered than it does when we think about us having the knowledge and we just gotta teach the world. When St. Paul doesn't approach the, the gospel or the world as a war or about uneducated people this way, no, he, he, he does it differently. See, first, he aims to please God first and foremost. He states that, that's his intent, to please God. And then, his approach is gentleness. In fact, he goes further to say that they behaved like mothers caring tenderly for their young. You see, what Paul saw in the world, what he projected onto it, what he thought about it, was that it was a place in need of care. Thus, his ministry was modeled under the idea of care. Care, my friends, is important. This is why we've named it one of our values at Peachtree Christian Church. We aim to be a community of reconciliation, cultivation, and care. But I want you to understand that being caring or the, the, the idea of care, it's not equivalent to being nice. Care is deeper. Care is more profound. As you all know, I like Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, inspiring person. He developed an entire television program, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, based on the concept of teaching and showing care to children. In fact, back when he was pretty new on the air, PBS was threatened by the the Congress, that it was going to have all of its funding cut. And so they went as different PBS stars to defend it. And he came and sat before Congress and passionately told them about the kind of care he offered children on TV. It brought grown, scary men to tears, and he single-handedly saved PBS because they could hear in his words this expression of care. 
of deep love and help for another person was so profound they thought it needed to be on the television. You can only approach the world with this kind of care if you have an image of the world like Mr. Rogers did, like St. Paul did. Here's how Mr. Rogers himself conceived of the world. Quote, I believe at the center of the universe there dwells a loving spirit who longs for all that's best in all of creation. A spirit who knows that great potential of each planet as well as each person. And little by little, with and little by little will love us into being more than we ever dreamed possible. That loving spirit would rather die than give up on any one of us. We all minister in really challenging times. But so did St. Paul. I believe that how we imagine this world will make all the difference. As we go together in the colder and darker months, please, ministers of the gospel, do not see your role in this ministry as trying to win victories over others. I'm going to say that with an eye towards an election. Please don't see your role as trying to win victories over others or at the expense of others. And don't see your role as teaching the ignorant. Instead, go into the world or be where you are with gentleness, with tenderness, with great care. Be with those to whom you minister. Work for their best and never give up. And rather die than give up on any one of them.